Welcome to Box to Box Football. Hello and welcome to another episode of Box to Box Football. I am your host, Stu Kovacs, riding solo on this episode. That's right. The other four members of the podcast are on red card suspension. Just kidding. Uh, they all have a few things to do. Uh, Sean, JJ, Kyle, and Mike. Uh, all hopefully will return for the next episode where we recap where we recap match week number five. Now, now just a reminder uh, to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get podcasts, whether that's Spotify or iTunes. Leave a five-star rating and comment as it helps with the algorithm, gets our podcast out there, and helps bring you guys some more content that you love, uh, of course. And also share your friends. Follow Box to Box Football on Twitter, X, Instagram, all your social media channels. We are there posting videos and content for you uh, throughout the week. Now, this is a new episode. The international break has come to an end, and we will get Premier League football back on Saturday. Match week number five already. So what I'm going to do in this episode is I'm going to focus on a few of my favorite matchups, and then we'll kind of run through the rest of the matchups. So we'll, we'll hit on all 10 matchups of match week number five, but we'll focus on the, the best three or four. And in my opinion, and I think the opinion of many, the best matchup this week is Brighton taking on Manchester United as Brighton travels to Old Trafford to take on United. And it takes place on Saturday during the 10 a.m. Eastern time window here in the United States. And it's really a tale of two different teams. Brighton, they come in, they sit at number six in the table with nine points, a 12 to six goal ratio, four to one wins over Luton Town and Wolves. They were stunned in match week three against West Ham three to one, but they rebounded very nicely with a three to one victory at St. James's Park versus Newcastle right before the international break. So they've been one of those sides that has been really good to start the season. United, on the other hand, well, they only have six points to put them in 11th place. They've scored five goals, given up seven. And it's not just it's not just the results for them. It's also just the sheer fact that they just have so much drama following them right now. And that's why United, it just makes them just worth talking about, even if they're not playing at that level that you expect a Manchester United to play. Now, United did have that 1-0 win against Wolves in match week one. They followed that up with a 2-0 loss at Spurs. Followed that up back home, 3-2 win over Forrest. And then, of course, they lost to Arsenal, 3-1 right before the international break, match week four. Just totally different from United from last season. Like I said, two losses in their first four this season. After finishing last season really strong in Ten Hag's first campaign, they only lost two of their final 11. So you really, if you're a United supporter, you really hope that this is the turnaround, right? They go into their national break. They had a lot of injuries. They still have a good amount of injuries, which is obviously a worrying sign. But for United, this is really where you want to see them turn it around. They're at home. They've won eight straight league matches at home. So this is really a time where you would expect them to try to uh, right the ship, if you will. Now, Brighton, that's a tough opponent, right? Like, it's going to be easier said than done to beat a team like Brighton. And United does have some concerns. They don't have Jaden Sancho. He is away from the team at the moment. Uh, he is training uh, away from the team, in fact, for what is called, quote, a squad discipline issue. And according to reports on Thursday, he reportedly refused to apologize to Ten Hag. Uh, if you remember, Sancho kind of went on social media following that loss at Arsenal. He wasn't included 
in that uh, squad against the uh, Arsenal at the Emirates. They look, he, he, he lashed out. He didn't apologize. Probably not looking good for him in, in terms of his future at United. But uh, not only Sancho, you have Anthony, who has his own issues off the field. He is absent. You have issues at left back. Luke Shaw is injured for the immediate future. Tyrell Malashi is also out. So it looks like the low will likely start there. At center back, you have injuries with Varane out. Alessandro uh, Martinez, at least at the moment, looks like he's not going to play. He's banged up. Mason Mount in the midfield is also a doubt. Now, it'll be interesting for me to see just how United lines up. So again, you're going to probably have a back four of Delote, Maguire, Lindelof, and Juan Bissaka, which obviously is a little weak. If you're a United fan, you don't want to see that. That's not the best back four you can bring in. But it's something they're going to have to play with. They're just going to have to get it done. In the midfield, you're going to have Casemiro play. I think the question is, do you get a fit Mason Mount? Doesn't look like that at the moment. Do you play a Christian Eriksen? Do you play one of the new guys they brought in late in the summer, Sofian Amrabat from Fiorentina, the uh, defensive midfielder, to kind of try to counter that Brighton pace, that that Brighton counterattack? It's going to be an interesting call for Ten Hag. I would I would actually go with Amrabat. I think it's time see what he can do. Start him, start him alongside Casemiro, and see what you get. You're obviously going to have Bruno Fernandez playing in that attacking midfield role. You're going to have Marcus Rashford playing on the left. You're probably going to have Garanacho playing on the right as he's, you know, let's face it, he's really like the only option left at that right wing position. And then I think this is where you're going to see Rasmus Hoyland get his starting debut. He came on against Arsenal. I actually like what he did. I know some people like to clown him and clown the team, but he actually showed me some stuff. I like his pace. I think he brings something to the table that United can definitely use. Obviously, last year in Serie A, he didn't have a ton of goals. But at the same time, he's a guy who is growing. He's going to get better. And if he's playing on a team with the talent that United has, he's going to get his goals. And most of all, he we've talked about this on previous episodes. Putting Playing him at striker allows Rashford to play out to the left where he's more comfortable. It allows Bruno Fernandes to play in that attacking midfield role, again, where he's more comfortable. So I think it's the best of both worlds, or really you know, every single world, if you will, uh, if you have Hoyland start. So I'm curious to see what Hoyland brings to the table and what that lineup looks like for United. Meanwhile, for Brighton, they have a few injury issues themselves. Julio and Ciso, he remains out with a knee issue. He's going to be out for a long time, probably most of the season. Antufati is a doubt. They brought him in on loan from Barcelona, the wonder kid. Uh, it looks like he's not going to be healthy to play. Now, they did have some injury scares during the international break, some slight ones. Danny Welbeck and Evan Ferguson. Now, at the time of recording, it does look like both are on track to play against United on Saturday. But Ferguson, he did withdraw from international duty uh, from the Irish national team with a knee issue. Uh, but there is hope for both of them to play. And uh, you would want to see Ferguson as, an, as a neutral supporter you want to see Evan Ferguson in this game. Evan Ferguson is a, a great talent. He's coming off that hat trick in Brighton's win against Newcastle in match week four. You kind of want to see what he can do. He might, you know, listen, he might be a future United player as well. So there's also that storyline to it. So I'm curious to see what Evan Ferguson brings, assuming he is healthy, of course. Now, in terms of tactics in this game, Brighton is great in the press. They've created more high turnovers than any side in the league this season with 49. And they have more shots in such situations with 13. So they press a lot. They 
use that press to get good shots and they take advantage of the opposition that way. And if you're going against a United squad with a back four of the low Lindelof, uh, Maguire, Wambasaka, that's not their best back four uh, by a margin. So if you're able to get pressure on that back four, that's probably going to be good things for Brighton. You do have Onana as a factor, of course. He is great with the ball, great passing the ball. So that'll help United in terms of negating Brighton's press, if you will. But again, that back four, that would scare me from a United fan. That would that would give me some nightmares leading up to this game Saturday against Brighton. Now, United also, I would say, needs to contain Matoma. We talked a lot about Matoma in previous episodes of the show, and rightfully so. He's off to a great start this season. Had a great end to last season as well, especially after the World Cup period. He is tied for the league lead and assists with three. He leads the league in chances, created an open play with 14. So again, Juan Basaka on that side and whatever center back plays alongside Juan Basaka, again, most likely Lindelof, going to be a massive test. That is going to be a very tough uh, battle for them. So again, it will be interesting to see what happens in this one. I, I know United doesn't lose at home, but I do think this changes in this one. I just think they are just too banged up. If they were healthy, it'd be a totally different story, but they're banged up. They have all the attention on them for the wrong reason. Uh, Brighton, they, they're going to come in with their composed play under De Zerbe. Uh, They're going to come in with their squad that is at least more healthy than United, that's for sure. They're going to create chances through the press, in my opinion. They're going to cause mistakes. So I think they win this one. I think it's a close one. Again, you don't go to United and blow out United. There's no way in hell that's happening. But I do think Brighton comes in and they win this one. Something like 2-1, to one, something like that is what I would predict. Now, another match that I think is intriguing this weekend is West Ham and their 10 points. Their 10 points through four games, very surprising to me. They play host to the champions, Manchester City, also in that 10 a.m. Eastern time Saturday window. So as you can tell by the start of this episode and the, the games we're talking about, this 10 a.m. Eastern time Saturday window is a doozy. There's a lot of really good games, as there usually are, but even this week more so. The really good games are in this 10 a.m. Eastern time window. Now, as I said, David Moyes' squad, surprising to me, a team that I thought would be in the relegation race. And I know it's early. I know, uh, you know, they still have a lot of European football coming up uh, starting this this coming week. So that's going to be a big test for them. But through four games, they've been great. They drew to Bournemouth in that match week one, which was very disappointing. But then they win at home against Chelsea, win at Brighton, and win at Luton Town as Luton Town opened up Kenilworth Road uh, to the Premier League football faithful. So, you know, two really good wins and then a win at Lewintown where that atmosphere was great. So to get those those 10 points through four games, to me, has, has been super impressive. Just, just so impressive. Now, City has essentially, on the other hand, look, they've been perfect, right? Four matches, four wins, 11 goals, only two goals conceded. A 3-0 win at Burnley, a 1-0 win against Newcastle as Newcastle came in with all the hype. A 2-1 win at Sheffield and then a 5-1 win against Fulham right before the break. West Ham is winless in their last 15 league matches against City. Uh, they have two losses and three draws, so they have a very tough time when, when facing Pep Guardiola's squad. And by the way, Pep, Pep Guardiola is back. He missed the last two matches uh, right before the international break with back surgery. Now, City did really well in his absence. Again, they won those last two games, and he's done really well against West Ham. He's unbeaten in all 14 Premier League matches against West Ham. 12 wins, 
and two draws. Now, the one thing I will say for City's perspective, they are more banged up. We talked a lot about before the break. You, you lose a guy like Kevin De Bruyne. That's that's very tough. They also have looked looks like they have lost Mateo Kovacic. Uh, the Croatian was unable to suit up during international duty due to what was called a muscle injury in his back. He did not train on Thursday. He is likely to undergo an MRI and he might miss the next few matches. So that's that's tough. You already are, you know, you already don't have De Bruyne, and now Kovacic is also likely going to be missing. Uh, John Stones and Jack Grealish. Also didn't train on Thursday. Grealish is reportedly dealing with a thigh issue. So the, uh, at least the one thing in West Ham's favor here is they're facing a city squad that, that is banged up. Now, Erling Holland has been phenomenal. Six goals in four matches, including a hat-trick against Fulman week four. You would think Alvarez is going to start alongside him up top. And then you you figure uh, Phil Foden's going to make his way into that starting 11 as well. Maybe you get Doku, maybe you get Bernardo Silva, Rodri. So the, the, those would probably be the starters, I would assume. It's just a lot of firepower. Even though the midfield's banged up, that is a lot of firepower for West Ham to try to handle. Uh, one more note on City. Kyle Walker signed an extension on Thursday through 2026. A move I really like for them because we have a lot of players on Manchester City who get all the hype. And rightfully so, because they're great players. But one guy that kind of sometimes goes under the radar a bit is Kyle Walker. I think he is one of the best defenders in all of England. He can play the center back of in a back three. He could play right back. He is a tremendously gifted football player. Now, City's gone through several guys at that uh, fullback position over you know recent years. You had Zinchenko on that left side. You had Jao Cancelo playing both right and left side. And last year, obviously, they, they played a lot of stones at right back. They, they've done a lot of different things. But Kyle Walker's the one guy who brings something to the table that none of those guys bring. And it's just really a tremendous pace. And sometimes you think he's a winger. The way he, he, he rushes up the right side of the pitch and really causes issues for defenses, uh, particularly left backs, if, if that's a, a problem. And, and, and he really does a good job at that. So for me... Kyle Walker signing an extension through 2026. And really, he already was an integral part of Manchester City, but even becoming more of a, a mainstay. I know Bayern was interested in him this offseason. I think he was probably interested in going to Bayern too. He resigned, so that's big for Manchester City to get him locked up for at least a few more years. Now, looking at West Ham squad and West Ham chances of this game, you look at James Ward-Prowse, that's kind of where it starts. And it's ironic that that's where it starts because he is a new player. He's only played four games for for West Ham. He is, at least at this time, he might be the signing of the offseason. Three assists already, already a huge impact in that midfield uh, with Declan Rice leaving. Edson Alvarez also a nice piece to that midfield. So that that midfield has really, you know, undergone a lot of change since the end of last year. And James Ward-Prowse has been a really good, a really, really good piece for them, uh, at least early on. Look, I I would love to sit here and tell you West Ham is going to beat Manchester City on Sun on Saturday. I just it's going to be tough for me to see. It's just a huge ask, just a huge ask for Kerr, Allgood, Sufal, Zuma. You're going up against Holland. You're going up against Phil Foden. It's going to be really tough. I think Manchester City easily get two or three goals. Can West Ham match that? Highly doubtful. Very highly doubtful. Even with as well as they've played. I say this one goes 2-0 City. Can you get more than two or three goals from 
the likes of Antonio, Bowen, Paqueta, Benrama. They're going to have to get lucky, and I think it's just going to be tough. I think it's going to be a good game, but in the end, I think City is just way too too good for West Ham. Uh, moving on to the early window on Saturday, and of course, as a Liverpool supporter, I have to talk about Liverpool, even though this one on paper against Wolves, you would think should be a victory for the Reds, but we shall see. It's going to be interesting, in my opinion. Now, Liverpool has gone off to a pretty good start this season after drawing at Chelsea in match week one, which was a disappointing one. They win 3-1 to against Bournemouth. They win 2-1 to at St. James's Park, uh, despite being a man down for over an hour. And then they win 3-0 at home against Villa right before the international break. Wolves, meanwhile, they, count, they come into the match at 15th place in the table, just three points. They were unlucky in that one. They lost to United, but they were crushed by Brighton 4-1. to they did win in that big that big match against Everton in match week three, 1-0. And, and then a 3-2 loss at Palace. Liverpool, they've been really good. They've been quietly good since the end of last season where they actually hold the longest unbeaten streak in the league of 15 games. And the second place on that list is Brentford with seven. So Liverpool's really been really strong uh, towards the end of last season and the start of this season. Wolves actually performed well against Liverpool last season. Wolves won 3-0 at Monolu. That is where this match is taking place. Uh, they also drew 2-2 at Anfield in the FA Cup, forcing a playoff, and that was right after the World Cup break. So this Wolves team, a little tricky. As the, you know, I know Sean has mentioned in past episodes how Wolves have, have been tricky for United. Well, at least last year, Wolves proved to be tricky against Liverpool. So we'll see what they what they able to bring to the table. Now, as for Liverpool, they did struggle a lot last season in the 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time games. So they played six last year. They didn't win any of them. They went winless in six games, drawing three times and losing three times. And, and five of those uh, matches were away from Anfield, as this one is as well. Wolves won, on the other hand, just two of their last 37 Premier League games when they've conceded at least a goal. You would expect... Liverpool score, right? I mean, you're going against Wolves. You do expect the likes of Salah, Diaz, Jota, those guys to get goals. So assuming they can get a goal, that, that that seems like that would be, you know, a good thing for Liverpool. Now, the one thing that does concern me for Liverpool is the defense in this game, right? You have no Virgil van Dijk, who is on his red card suspension for his descent after getting kicked out of that match against Newcastle in match week three. So he is missing his second straight full match. Trent Alexander-Arnold at right back. He is a major doubt. He has what is described as both a hamstring and calf injury. So it's one or the other, but Trent is a major doubt with that, that leg injury. He did not train on Thursday. Now they did get... Ibra Kanate back in training on Thursday. He he missed the last two games before the break, so getting him back is key. Um, so you're going to have a defense that's likely going to be Andrew Robertson, Joe Gomez, Joel Matip, and Konate. Again, you don't have Indyke and Alexander-Arnold. Those are two big pieces. And we can say what we want about Virgil van Dijk being older and not the player he was. That is very true. We can say Trent Alexander-Arnold isn't a good defender. I think that is also a valid point to make. He is not a very good defender. But at the same time, you lose those two key pieces of your back four. You know, it brings some questions, right? Darwin Nunez also, he withdrew a halftime of Tuesday's match for Uruguay with what was quote-unquote muscular difficulties. So he might miss this one. And there's still no sign of Thiago. So Liverpool does come into this one a little banged up. And that's a really a, a big reason why I'm talking about this game right now. 
Uh, if Liverpool was fully healthy, I think this would be a, a very, very easy win for them. But the fact they're banged up, listen, that's it, it makes it at least a little bit of a concern as a Liverpool supporter. Now, Gary O'Neill does bring in a very fit squad. There's really no injuries, at least at the moment of recording. So that helps them. In terms of tactics, I think the one thing I would say that could be a problem for Liverpool, besides the guys they're missing, just looking at some of these Wolves players is... Uh, Neto and his speed that he brings, I think, could cause problems for that Liverpool defense, especially the back four. Kuna, not a bad player either. He can certainly play. But looking on the other hand, I think Liverpool are going to score goals in this game. The back four for Wolves is rough. You know, you have the likes of Semedo, Dawson, Kilman, Aitnori. It's just not a strong back four. And you would think guys like Salah, Jota, especially if he starts for Darwin Nunez, Luis Diaz on that left side. I, I think those three are going to kind of eat them alive, if you will, get a few goals, and then they'll be fine. I, I definitely see Liverpool giving up a goal in this one, but I do think they get a three or four. So win this one, we'll, we'll call a three to one uh, to Liverpool at Monolu against Wolves in that early game on Saturday. Now, moving on to the last game I want to focus on, and that is Chelsea and their four. Yes, that is not a misspeak on my part. Their four points on the season as they look to bounce back at Bournemouth as they visit Vitality Stadium Sunday in the early match, which is 9 o'clock Eastern time here on the East Coast in the United States. Now, they had a really sour end to that first uh, four games of the season, Chelsea, as they lost at home 1-0 to Forest in match week four. They also had that 3-1 loss to West Ham in match week two. So for Pochettino, it's been a kind of a disappointing start, right? You get that draw against Liverpool. That's a good result. That's a fine result. You take that. And then you lose 3-1 to West Ham and you lose 1-0 to at home to Forest. That's that's pretty rough. Chelsea just two wins from their last 16 Premier League games. That's right. Five draws and nine losses and just two wins in their last 16 Premier League games. I know that dates a lot back to last year, but at the same time, they really haven't looked too, too differently at the start of this season either. Uh, since March 18th, Chelsea has the fewest points of any non-promoted or relegated side in the league with just 11. And Pochettino himself, winless in his last 13 away Premier League games. So that's so those you look at some of those stats, that would what makes it interesting, right? You look at Bournemouth and Chelsea on paper and the talent, it's obviously Chelsea, right? Chelsea has a lot of talent. It's just a matter of getting the talent together to be able to make the magic happen and they really haven't been able to do that that's been the story of the last two years of Chelsea still many absences for them they still don't have Christopher Nkunku at that striker position they really miss him Romeo Lavia looks like he's going to be out for a while with looks to be a ankle injury Wesley Fofana still out Reese James he's inching closer to return looks like this one might be a little too early for Reese James to make his comeback Brohal might be able to make his way into the match squad so at least they're going to get him back but at the same time, it, it's still a lot of injuries for, for Chelsea. It's still a lot of just weird pieces and weird spots and just trying to get everything to work. I, I don't think Chelsea drops points here. I'll be honest. I do think they go to Vitality and they get all three points. But again, you never know. It, it, it's not a sure thing. It's certainly not a sure thing. Now, looking at this game tactically, Enzo Fernandez. He's actually been one of the bright spots for Chelsea, leading the league with 33 progressive passes. Nicholas Jackson, I think this is a big game for him. He's a guy who looks the part and has created a lot of chances this year, but really hasn't had the goals to tell the whole story, right? He has the most total off-ball runs in the league with 173, but again, an expected 
3.03 goals this season for Nicholas Jackson. He has just one. So this is really a match where I think Nicholas Jackson can kind of stick his nose in there, get a goal or two, and maybe get a little momentum for himself as Chelsea striker, at least until they get uh, some of these other guys healthy. Or, you know, it's Chelsea. Maybe they buy someone. As for Bournemouth, now you have Dominic Solanke, who extended his contract on Thursday. He's been one of the bright spots for Bournemouth. He has been involved in 16 goals since the start of last season. Eight goals for himself, and he assisted on eight others. And that leads all of Bournemouth players. I just think this is going to be too much for Bournemouth. I think Chelsea is going to get it done. This isn't going to be a, a replay of Nottingham Forest, who, by the way, I think are a better team than Bournemouth, if we're being honest with ourselves. Even though Bournemouth is at home, I still think that Chelsea comes away with a victory. 2-0, 3-0, something like that. Now, other matches this weekend, and we'll kind of go through some of these rapid fire. You have Fulham at home against Luton Town, and that takes place Saturday during the 10 a.m. Eastern time window. Now, Fulham just four points through four games. They've conceded 10 goals, which is the second most in the league to Burnley. Luton Town, meanwhile, zero points to three matches, a goal differential of minus seven. You would think Fulham writes the ship here, gets some points. They obviously looked pretty good against Arsenal a few weeks back. Uh, but if you're Kyle Franco, who is a big Fulham fan, you want to see this be pretty painless and you want to see them dominate this game and win 2-0, 3-0, something like that. Now, Tottenham Hotspur, they host Sheffield United Saturday, also in that 10 a.m. Eastern time window. Spurs are second in the table. They have looked pretty good under Ange Patsikoglu with 10 points through four games. They scored 11 goals, only giving up four. Now, Sheffield, on the other hand, one point through four as they drew against Everton in match week four, and then three losses leading up to that. They have not looked good in their return to the Premier League. We've talked about them a lot, being a team that is, at least at this point, likely to get relegated probably along with Luton Town, one of those favorites to get relegated so again Tottenham at home I would definitely expect for them to dominate this one and come away with a victory now Crystal Palace they travel to Aston Villa and go to Villa Park on Saturday at 10 a.m eastern time Palace now Palace with seven points through four sitting in seventh place they actually have not looked too bad Villa on the other hand a disappointing start a team that I thought could compete for Champions League uh, positioning very disappointing start, only six points through four games. But those two losses, they did come at the hands of Newcastle and Liverpool. So it's not like they, they lost to some bad teams. They lost to some pretty good teams. I think this is a tough one for Villa. They have some injuries. Crystal Palace has played well. I could sneakily see this being a draw, a 2-2 draw, and, and Crystal Palace getting a point while Villa, on the other hand, you know they, they're starting up European football this week. So they're going to want to start getting some Premier League wins under their belt and I think it might not come this weekend I think Crystal Palace could come away with a point now St. James's Park will be the home to Newcastle taking on Brentford this is the Saturday 1230 Eastern time game Newcastle in 14th place just three points but again they've played a really tough schedule to start they lost to City Liverpool and Brighton Brentford meanwhile they are in eighth six points with an eight to five goal ratio a win against Fulham and three draws coming at the hands of Spurs Palace and Bournemouth I do think Newcastle wins this one. Brentford, the one thing I'll say about Brentford, and I've said it on this podcast before, they do not take these big opponents lightly. I know they've played Liverpool well in these these last two years that they've been up in the Premier League. So they don't really play with a lot of fear, which is a very good thing for them. But I do think Newcastle, just the town is there. 
I think Newcastle will come away with a, a comfortable victory themselves. Arsenal, they traveled to Goodison Park to take on Everton on Sunday during the 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time match. Gunners are fifth in the league with 10 points with their dropped points against Fulham. Everton, meanwhile, they have just one point through four, and that one point coming from their draw against Sheffield in a match that, well, you know, might be uh, a relegation battle result coming later in the season. Again, I know it's on the road, but Arsenal's got to win this game. If you're Arsenal, you cannot lose to Everton, even if it's on the road. you got to take care of business. You can't have what happened against Fulham. You know, they came back after that disappointing result against Fulham, and they did a very nice job against United, coming away with a victory at home. Got to keep the momentum. You got to go to Everton. You got to win. And then finally, the last match of match week number five in the Premier League, and it's Monday Night Football where we have Burnley traveling to the city ground to take on Nottingham Forest. Now, I know JJ hit up the group chat earlier today and, and was a big proponent of this match, and rightfully so. Now, this is a big match. Now, you're saying, oh, it's Burnley-Nottingham Forest. Who cares? That's not true. This is a big match, and it's going to really kind of dictate what we see from these teams the next few weeks. You have Forest in ninth with six points. They've looked decent to start the year. Burnley, meanwhile, their return to the Premier League has not treated them nicely. Zero points through three games, a negative eight goal differential just have not looked good it's been pretty ugly honestly and forever whichever team loses let's say one of these teams loses it'll certainly be a tough stretch for whoever comes away with a loss but that recaps our premier league preview for match week five so that means of course it is time to go around the world as kyle franco would say and a few things stand out to me in terms of around the world football at this stage number one u.s men's national team they wrapped up their international break they won four to nil over oman on tuesday they got goals from balagan aronson and ricardo pepe outshot them 19 to 7 so we talked on last episode about the future of the men's national team under greg berhalter and Myself, Sean, Kyle, JJ, we're all kind of disappointed with the direction of the team. We really don't think Berhalter should be the guy in charge going forward, but it's kind of what we get at this point, right? Uh, So we kind of have to go with it. Uh, It was a nice victory on Tuesday over Oman. Uh, They look good. They created chances. Uh, We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens coming up uh, in these next few international breaks and and what momentum they can hopefully build uh, to becoming more of a threat, more of a threat, I would say, in these these matches, in these in these tournaments like the World Cup. And then finally, we'll go to Syria, where we have a big matchup this weekend on Saturday at 12 Eastern time here in the States. The Milan Derby, Inter Milan, hosts AC Milan, and it is a clash between the top two teams in Syria, at least at the start of the season. Inter has nine points. Through three games, they've scored eight goals while conceding zero. Meanwhile, AC Milan has nine points, scoring eight and conceding just two. So two really strong starts for the Milan teams, and now they play each other nice and early in the season. It'll be a, a good test for both of them who who had a successful campaigns last year, both finishing in Champions League spots. Of course, you have Inter Milan who made the Champions League final against Manchester City. Now, Inter have won the last four meetings uh, without conceding a goal across all competitions, so they've really had AC Milan's number. I'm intrigued by this one. Uh, I'm someone who watches more Premier League than anything, but uh, you give me a good Milan derby, I will definitely be into that. I'm, I'm curious to see what we we get from AC Milan in terms of their attack. Uh, you have Rafael Leao, who's one of the best left wingers in the world, probably one of the, the least talked about left wingers, and he is up there with, with the best. And, of course, Christian Pulisic on the right side. 
as an American, I want to see what Pulisic does in Syria. He's had a decent start to his campaign there. Curious to see what he does against a, a, a formidable squad in Inter Milan. Ruben Loftus-Cheek is also there for, for AC Milan. And then for Inter Milan, you got Marcus Thuram, Latoro Martinez, some really good players there. Just really curious to see what we get from that matchup. I would fancy Inter Milan, but at the same time, the Milan Derby, you never know what you're going to totally get. Well, that will do it for our show. Uh, thank you for listening. If you are still here, you you endured a half hour of me talking to myself about Premier League football and, and a little bit international football as well. The guys will all be back on Tuesday for another episode. And on Tuesday, it is going to be a lot of fun. We will, of course, recap all of these matches for match week five. And we will also preview, yes, it already begins, Champions League football Starts on Tuesday, Tuesday, games on Tuesday and Wednesday. We will preview all of those games. And, and we'll also hit on some Europa League and Conference League as well, particularly Liverpool, Brighton, West Ham, and Villa. So thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review and comment as it helps drive the algorithm. Tell your friends, follow Box to Box Football on Twitter slash X. Follow Box to Box Football Pod on Instagram. And again, we will be back on Tuesday morning with another episode recapping match week five and previewing Champions League football. So until next time, this is Stu Kovac signing off. Thank you so much for listening.